first novel in the series is called Cruel Logic, The Philosopher Killer, subtitled The Philosopher Killer. And the premise of that story is that there's a serial, there's a, let's put it this way, there's a, there's a professor on campus and he's a serial killer. And um, so there's this uh, brilliant philosophy teacher who becomes a serial killer and he captures university professors. And what he does is he debates them. And the topic of the debate is his moral right to kill them. My name is Elliot Marzulli. This is Dr. Aaron Judkins. This is Trey Smith. This is Ryan Peterson. This is Dr. Judd Burton. This is Timothy Albrino. This is Derek Gilbert, and you're listening to The Dig Bible Podcast. Glad you made it. Come along for the ride as we search for hidden truth, explore historical context, and dig into God's Word to help us understand the past, present, and future of this supernatural world. This is Steve, along with Justin and Ben. And you are listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. What's going on, all my local guys and gals and long distance pals? We're back. We are back without Ben again. I know he's killing me, but uh, killing me softly. He'll be back. He'll be back at some point, but. Uh... You know, there's always something to do, and, and, and a lot of times we get dragged in a lot of different directions, but, you know, we'll keep on keeping on. That's all we can do. Oh, yeah. Where's everything good with you on your end? Nothing's much different, buddy. little farm life and uh, doing the best I can, you know. How about you? That's good. Same. Work, come home, rinse, have some interesting conversations. Oh, yeah. Rinse and repeat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, Steve, uh, let's open us up in prayer and introduce our, our guest and uh, topic for today. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given us. Thank you for this time together. Uh, as always, please try to help this always be something that, that you would want someone to hear. Let us be a mouthpiece for you. Please reach that one person that needs to hear something here to bring them closer to you, Lord. And... Uh, just continue to bless everything that, that we do and that everything that Brian does in the future. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Well, today we got with us uh, the one, the only, the Brian Godawa, um, author of uh, author and screenwriter, but author of the Chronicles of the Nephilim, Chronicles of the Apocalypse, Chronicles of the Watchers, uh, screenwriter of uh, To End All Wars, The Visitation, and uh, more recently, My Son Hunter, um, if you want to get into the political end of things as well, which occasionally we do. But um, it is so good to have you back with us, Brian. I, I also, I always say this, and I, I've, we've said it to, we've actually got to interview all of you, but uh, Iron and Myth that you guys do with Derek Gilbert, uh, with you, uh, Doug Van Dorn, and Judd Burton is just, to me, is one of the most eye-opening things to see four godly Christian men that are able to have a difference of opinion and still respect each other. And I think that's something that in the Christian church and in the Christian world right now, we're losing uh, quite a bit, that respect between each other. So I love seeing that and, and love listening to you guys. So it's Brian, it's great to have you. Thanks for having me on guys. Great to be here. So today, Brian, with your experience, you, you really 
being a screenwriter, being in Hollywood, uh, being an author that you are, um, you really have a different perspective and a different uh, insight than most of us do. I'm about as far, actually, me and Justin both are about as far from Hollywood as you could possibly imagine. I mean, I open my door and there's chickens everywhere. That's as far from Hollywood as you can imagine. So, um, you know, your perspective and your insights are going to be different than things that we understand. And I think it's awesome to be able to talk to you and be able to see and understand um, that that other, you know, that other worldview that we see, but we don't get a chance to see because you're in, you run in different circles, you're around different people and you get this stuff, you get your uh, spiritual warfare in a different uh, realm almost, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely for sure. Um, although I have recently, um, escaped Sodom and Gomorrah, um, just a couple of years ago, I moved out of Los Angeles, moved to Texas. Um, and it was literally to get away. It, the, the oppression was so, um, deep and became so excessive that it was just, it was time, it was time to leave. So, um, you know, for me, most of my life, uh, you know, as an, as an artist, I've always seen myself as just a, a voice of that speaks truth to lies, speaks truth to evil, speaks truth to power, all these kinds of things. And, and, um, uh, I've never, I've never really thought of myself as some, as someone who like checks out of culture or tries to get away from it to, to be safe and, you know, I mean, I think I, we all do that to a certain degree, you know, like I live in the suburbs instead of the city. Right. But in terms of getting way out there in rural America and having my own homestead and my own well and all that kind of stuff, um, as much as I respect that, and I love people who can, who, who can do that, who want to do that more power to you. And I'm, I'm all for that in, in terms of the beauty of nature and living in that capacity. But as an artist, I've always wanted to communicate the truth that I believe that I'm discovering and uncovering. And, and part of that is being in that world, being around those people. Um, and particularly as a filmmaker, of course, if you want to make movies, you got to be in Los Angeles and, and it's not absolute, but it's, you know, it's the best, it's the best chance you have of being around those people and, and being able to interact with them and get movies made and such. And so I spent, you know, much of my career there in LA and, or at Southern California, at least trying to get movies made and trying to be a voice, uh, a Christian worldview within Hollywood movies, you know, sort of one way of saying it might be secular movies with a Christian worldview, so to speak, like Chariots of Fire, or my first movie actually was that, um, To End All Wars with Kiefer Sutherland. And, you know, it's a, uh, great Hollywood movie, you can see it for free on Amazon Prime right now. But um, my goal had always to sort of be in the world, not of it, and uh, to make movies within that realm, but to just be a voice, a different voice, right? And But in the last few years, the, the capture of American institutions across the country, indeed across the world, but focusing on America, you know, whether it's education, government... Um, even even Fortune 500 company, corporations, uh, as well as churches, have been captured, and certainly Hollywood, have been captured by the leftist um, woke mentality. And it, of course, Hollywood had always been liberal and and, and became left, and 
you know, have had that component to them. But in the last five or six years, it became aggressively hostile. Um, in other words, you know, I used to be able to fly in under the radar, meet producers and directors who might have a common vision and we would unite and try to put our movie together and then do, you know, hire the actors, make the movies and try to get them distributed by Hollywood just by virtue of having a good quality production and telling a good story, but embodying a Christian worldview, you know, much like my movie to end all wars does, um, all that, all my storytelling does that. I don't try to preach or propagandize people. I just tell a story, but I have a viewpoint just like every other storyteller does. And um, I wanted to be part of that system. But in the last few years, it, you could no longer even fly in under the radar. In other words, they would, you know, they have their DEI representatives in all the studios, the diversity, equity, and inclusion. And can you hear me? Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, um, and so, uh, you know, they became hunting, you know, hunting people like me out and not working with us. In other words, uh, you would write a script, you might help tell a good story, but you have a kind of different viewpoint. You try to make it subtle, but they are particularly captured and obsessed with their woke ideology. And so everything has to reflect that wokeness. And so um, it became so excessive where, you know, even the Oscars, uh, you know, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences had, had, you know, dictated a actual, you know, rules for movies being nominated. They would have to have these woke components or they're not going to be able to be nominated. And, and that, although I've never really cared much for the Oscars, you know, for most of my time, they still set, they sort of set the, uh, the, um, the mentality that, that Hollywood, or it certainly expresses the mentality openly, what was already underlying everything. Right. And so virtually anything I would do would be cut off or rewritten into something that's immoral or, uh, what I consider evil, you know, racist even because of their, their particular leftist woke worldview, which is racist. And so I realized that, you know, Hollywood's dead, you know? So I escaped and, and, and moved to Texas, although I've still done just as much movie work as I have in the, in the previous years in LA. So it's not like I'm not making movies anymore, but it was just getting away from that toxic, hostile, hateful environment that is Los Angeles and uh, it's done wonders for my psychology. <laughs> it's done wonders for my own um, just personal mentality, just being around normal people. I, I, would, I would say that the, the general culture in Los Angeles is narcissistic. And um, just being around normal people out in the suburbs and in Texas, in the, in the, in the Midwest, right, in flyover country, um, just being in that environment with people are just normal and nice people is just so refreshing. I realized how oppressed I had been. And, you know, when you're living under oppression like that, you get used to it and you learn how to adapt and get along and hide yourself. And then when you get out of it, you realize, oh my gosh, I, it, it had been a kind of a slavery, you know, an enslavement of, of not being able to be who you really are and not being able to express what you believe, because if you are, you're immediately canceled. You're immediately cut off. You're, you lose your job. They won't work with you, this kind of thing. And so it was, 
it, it's been great being out. And like you said, I've made a movie, my, my son Hunter, and uh, which you can see it on mysonhunter.com because no one in Hollywood would ever distribute that movie. So you have to get it online. And that, that was just a political satire about Hunter Biden's laptop. And this wasn't even a political hit job. It was, in fact, if you watch it, you'll see it's quite empathetic towards Hunter Biden, though he's a, a, an addictive personality. But it's about the tragedy of their family re- relationships between he and his deceased brother and his dad, Joe Biden. At, even though he's president, there's that family dynamic that's going on there. And um, it's really exploring their humanity and his humanity in the midst of all these political shenanigans, of course, that were going on. But the goal was not to do a political hit job like Hollywood does. It was really to sort of deal with real events that were that were being denied and suppressed by the media that we now it's been proven that they have been. And um, yeah, so it did really well. And, and uh, so I made that movie. But in the meantime, um, I've been writing novels for the last you know, 13 years or so. And um, my dominant series have been Chronicles of the Nephilim and Chronicles of the Watchers and Chronicles of the Apocalypse, which we've talked about already. And we'll, we'll talk some more tonight, I guess. But but my most recent foray into novel writing is a, a whole new genre, which is, I call it theological thrillers. Uh, I'm telling stories on on um, within the thriller genre serial killer stories like Silence of the Lambs. And, but I'm, I'm using these stories kind of like Dean Koontz does, if you've ever read his material, where you really explore human nature, the nature of evil, the problem of evil, wrestling through that real gritty reality that is human existence and that many people suffer. Um, and also wrestling with the concept of the existence of God in the midst of this. And so um, I'm doing it through the thriller genre, and because my approach is so unique, I'm, I'm kind of labeling it a new genre, the theological thriller, because I'm not afraid to deal with these issues on, in a philosophical level and, and, um, uh, and a theological level. And, you know, a lot of people are sort of turned off by philosophy or theology. You know, it's just academic stuff. And I get that. And, it's and dry. It, can, it can become that way, right? But I have a love for that stuff. And I'm like, how can I bring that to people and make it entertaining and so that they will actually learn to appreciate it, even though it's not their world, but appreciate it in an entertaining way and actually learn something and, and draw from it. And, and that's my goal. That's my goal with the series. And the first novel in the series is called Cruel Logic, The Philosopher Killer, subtitled The Philosopher Killer. And the premise of that story is that there's a, there's a let's put it this way, there's a, there's a professor on campus and he's a serial killer. And um, so there's this uh, brilliant philosophy teacher who becomes a serial killer and he captures university professors. And what he does is he debates them. And the topic of the debate is his moral right to kill them. So he'll say, he'll, he'll get them in a chair and he'll strap them down and videotape it and, uh, or video record it and, uh, and say, okay, if what you say is true about the universe or about reality, Give me one valid reason why I should not kill you, and I'll let you go. And as each of these professors, whether they're an evolutionary biologist or a queer theorist or a feminist, uh, you know, women's studies or all these different woke categories, because this is a woke college campus, um, as each of them seeks to try to draw from their own ethical perspectives, um, shall we say they, they leave a, quite a bit to be... Um, 
they 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 leave a, a lot undone in their in their ability in their abilities to try to defend their ethical systems and the the, kill, the killers actually has a higher a higher purpose and multiple reasons why he's doing this not the least of which is that he's got a cop and a psychologist who are tracking him down trying to catch him and he's kind of playing cat and mouse with them as well but that's the sort of the hook to the story to to make you go make you think can, could i defend my beliefs if my life depended on it and and part of that reason was you know a lot of people have these beliefs but they never are held accountable for them you know they'll say things like you know modern day evolutionary biologists might say well morality is just a fiction uh that we use to survive and it's not really real and it's just a fanciful fiction that that is pragmatically used well, think about that, though. If that's true, then there is no real moral uh, moral um, obligation not to murder people. You don't want to get caught, sure, but that doesn't make it wrong. And in fact, if you can get away with murder, then of course it's right, because there is no, if morality is a fiction, right, then, then why would you condemn anything as being immoral or wrong or something you should not do, right? Um, these are all just arbitrary conventions for pragmatic reasons, which doesn't, which means that there's no real right and wrong. But people aren't forced to face up to that reality. You know that that if what you think is true about reality, think it through, and you realize it doesn't really make sense within your own you know universe. And so that that sort of reasoning is going on in the context of a woke university where I have student unrest, uh, BLM riots and, and Antifa is there. And, and you've got the students who are protesting Western civilization, like the, the kind of things that really are going on in, in the modern day university. And the reason why I, I chose that was because I feel that, I think that the, the, the wokeness that has captured our culture really can be traced back to the university, the, the, the influence, right? And it begins with the academics. It begins with the intelligence uh, the the philosophers and such who who begin with their postmodern and their Marxist philosophies, and of course you know we think it's not connected to reality, but they teach the students, and the students grow up and get jobs, and then they apply that Marxist theory and the postmodern rejection of morality. They apply that to their lives, and that's what we're dealing with now in reality, as well as in the university. When you see these university students now, who are across the country, this wouldn't have happened ten years ago where student protests in support of terrorism and murder of innocent Jews and literally promoting genocide against Jews. It's like, what? Well, yeah, this is what happens when you teach them the things that they've been taught. And I wanted to capture that reality in the novel, especially for those who wonder what's going on in the universities. I don't just make things up. I actually base the story on real events that have been occurring, you know, in the last five to 10 years I draw from them and incorporate them into the story to make it, you know, both entertaining and shocking as well as a um, sort of a, a philosophical, shall we say, exploration of the, the ideology that is, whether you like it or not, whether you want to talk about it or not, it is the dominant worldview in our culture and it is going to ultimately bite you. <laughs> That's a nice way of putting it or kill you if you haven't already been attacked by it yet. You, you know, And so that was sort of the, the um, big picture context of, of my interest in, in the story. I've always loved philosophy and apologetics. 
And so I wanted to put those into a story and make it entertaining in a way that people would would find interesting and not just uh, the the typical boring academia type of stuff, you know. All right, so check and uh, check this out. This is I want to run this by you a little bit. I think, you know, as you're talking about your book, we're seeing, you know, it's a fiction book, but it's in a nonfiction world. I mean, we're mm-hmm. seeing the very, you know, this is a very real thing that's happening right now. And as you said, even you know, we talked about that at the beginning, where you said you left because of the oppression, you know, from LA moving to Texas to get away from it. So we're seeing a, a, and you even just said not even 10 years ago, you would have seen this. Now we're seeing a ramp up of this in our society. This is getting exponentially worse by the day. I mean, there's, you know, we can go into biblical prophecy. We can talk about all these things, you know, uh, wars and rumors of wars and all these different things that we're going to see. Lovers of self. Exactly. And it just continues to ramp up and get worse and worse. And you're even showing that with your book here, which we will uh, insert that that clip. I think right. There's a couple spots in there that I think that'll work in perfect uh, when you were talking about it. But um, I I just I really want to know what you kind of think is the cause. But I mean, you talked about the universities, but there has to be a reason. There has to be. I mean, there's an agenda being put forth. And where's that coming from? Yeah. Well, boy, that's a big topic, you know? Um, and I guess there's, there's, I would say there could be three different major components that you could, you could, um, organize this around and individuals will focus on one to the exclusion of others. You have the, certainly the, um, the, like what I've been saying, the, the worldview, the consequences that the, the, the major theme of my novel is ideas have consequences. And when you preach certain ideas, they result, people will end up resulting in behavior that will reflect those beliefs and you won't always like the, the consequences. So, and, and so in, in, in a society wide effect or a society wide uh, yeah, effect of this, these, these philosophies, this ideology, right? There's a sort of natural thing that feeds on itself. You know what I mean? Like the more people believe it, the more people act consistent with it, the more that society is captured, right? Like I said, you know, you, it starts out with students being taught this and then they protest on campus and they believe it. And then they grow up and they got to get jobs and they get out in jobs. And then they, they go to work as a human resources person at a corporation and they apply their principles to the corporation or, you know, they get into government and they believe in big government controlling people's lives. And, and so they're going to apply that there. So there's a sense in which the intelligentsia of a movement are the, you know, the original sort of founders of that movement. If you look back to the sixties, you see uh, Herbert Marcuse, you see these uh, and other postmodernists and Marxists, who Christopher Rufo writes about this in his new book, the um, the American Cultural Revolution. I highly recommend it. Um, um, you know, and he and he talks about some of the these the origins of the movement. My point is is that the movement begins with the intellectual foundations, and they work through the ideas, and then they teach it to students, and students come, and it grows, and it grows, and it leaves the university, and it becomes part of society. So there's this natural, um, I think, I think progress. If you look in the history, look at all history, that's what happens, right? You've got p- people living one certain way, 
and certain ideas become grab onto people and becomes a movement and starts a, starts like wildfire and infests everything right and that's often how you know societies will change so there's that natural i think progress of of um of how ideas are lived out and good or bad right and so in this case of course i would argue it's bad then you the second component i would say would be um sin uh the this uh in a very real sense, human nature is the Bible says that we are we are totally depraved. We are dead in our sin and trespasses. And that means there's a there's a hatred for God, for the creator. You know, read Romans one and you see how um uh humanity that does not want to follow or obey the creator ends up worshiping creation. And what's the consequences of worshiping creation? There's a very deep depraved um, desire in, in human souls to justify our rejection of God. And what do we do? We build whole systems to justify that. And that's a very spiritually driven um, factor, I think, that I think is the essence of all this stuff, which is the... Um, the natural sinful nature. If you look at the history of philosophy and you study it, you see, uh, just like the history of psychology, actually, you see it's a history of man trying to escape God, trying to justify why there's no God. You see the progress, whether it's materialism or postmodernism. It's the attempt to justify getting away from God and not being accountable to his law, to his word, to his, you know, his standards. And, and, and there's a progress to that. Right. And I, I think that that also like Roman Romans one, it compounds as a spiritual, um, uh, nature of evil that compounds and gets worse. Right. And of course, you know, righteous men and women may fight that, but, um, and, and, and and sometimes in some generations, what do they do? They sit down and they don't do much and evil takes over. And then the last factor, I, I guess, or, you know, last category, you know, you could argue is that there is a, a spiritual supernatural component to it. And different people have different levels to which they, um, you know, they go, like uh, you mentioned already, some people think it's prophecy fulfillment, but, or that, you know, that they're driven by demonic uh, spirits of some kind. And yeah, I think that there could be that component in a lot of it. Absolutely. Uh, how much of it is that? And are there, are there, um, you know, um, spiritual, spiritual principalities and powers now, like there was in the ancient world, that's all debatable, but I certainly would agree that there's a certain demonic element to it that could be also a component of the progress of this, of these ideas, right. In society. Um, so I, but I think that it's, it's a complex issue because humanity is complex. We're not, we're not just reason, rational beings. We're not just emotional beings. We're not just spiritual beings or psychological beings. We're all those things to working together in a component, which to me is a expression of the beauty of the nature of the image of God, isn't it? And so, um, yeah, so those are, those are the, you know, you can see it from different angles and I, I, you know, as a Christian, of course, I, I accept to a certain degree all of these these elements, you know. But um, yeah, so so uh, 
but but I would say as a creator of content, you know, myself as an artist, um, I've seen I can see a lot of the influence of I of the the modern day woke ideas in the storytelling is a consequence of storytellers and writers, creators do like to read a lot. And we like to, we like to explore ideas and we like to understand what are the latest ideas? Because a lot of times you come up with the latest ideas, like even in even scientific ideas, right? Like what's the latest scientific idea, string theory. And, and so a writer storyteller will look into that because he wants to tell a unique story that hasn't been told or a unique angle with a unique perspective, a fresh perspective. Again, that could be good or bad. It's not in itself wrong, but that the writers and storytellers are always looking for that in order to give some fresh perspective to their stories. Unfortunately, you know, those who are, are not connected to their creator, they're going to accept anything that will draw them and justify their own views. And so consequently, they'll incorporate those. And so you see in today's movies and series and, and uh, you know, novels and music, you see the same woke effect that uh, wokeness and I, woke ideas um, that you see anywhere else because of that, that influence, right? And, and when I say woke, you know, what, what does that mean? You know, I guess it's a sort of a catch-all that many people could use all kinds of definitions, right? This is but, a highly caffeinated uh, world now. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody's woke. Yeah, and, and it's easy to forget what that really means, you know, and it's easy for people who, who want to deny it, you know, uh, to just, well, what does that even mean? And, and people stumble over trying to say it. But, you know, I would say that, you know, in a general, in, in, in its most generous sense, it's, it tends to be a leftist worldview, a mentality that, that um, is, tends towards Marxist views. But Marxism, not so much, uh, <clears throat> not just economic Marxist, which is what the origins of Marxism was, you know, uh, but it views the world in terms of, it reduces the world to two types of people, oppressed and oppressor. And at the heart of, of all this junk is, I think, this, this idea. The world reduces to oppressed and oppressor, and the oppressed are the majority white, heterosexual, male, Christian, um, you know, that kind of a basic person. That's the the definition of the oppressor. And they oppress everybody else. And everybody else is people of color, women, any minority group or anything that's a minority um, that can claim minority status becomes the oppressed. And this is a worldview that then says, it then reinterprets through that con- through that conceptual construct. It then looks at everything we're doing in our society and spins it into a... Um, an explanation of, yeah, see, everything is racist. Everything is transphobic. Everything, you know, um, even the systems that are created are, you know, um, expressions of that, that systemic oppression, right? And so the, the oppression is economic maybe, or it's racial, right? Or it's, but it's basically the resent, it's like an, an underlying resentment against majority culture. Um, and so, it becomes a tool or a weapon that is used to justify ultimately the goal is revolution and the, and revolution is a violent overthrow of the current reigning system, whether, whether it's social paradigm or what have you. Right. So Western civilization is the ultimate 
bugaboo. It's the ultimate um, bad guy here. Western civilization means Judeo-Christianity, which is a f- and, and modern science and and these kinds of things that have sort of built our society. And it's reinterpreting all those things as being ultimately negative and repressive. And so by undoing them, they can take the power away from the majority people, which are the oppressors. And um, in so doing, they take over power. It's, rev- it's a revolutionary theory. The goal is, is to overthrow current society and replace it with those who are the oppressed, right? And so, um, yeah, it's a revolutionary ideology. And uh, yeah, so that's what I mean when I'm, when I'm referring to the woke ideology. And, and it has tentacles into everything, including, Christ, you know, including religion, right? You've even got woke religious people or woke Christians who are saying, you know, yeah, you know, white people are part of the patriarchy, which comes from the Bible. The male leadership is is inherently oppressive because it leads women. Therefore, women are not equal, even though that's not true. That's that's how they spin everything in order to justify um, their violent hatred of it and their violent hatred of those people. So now we hear people, if you're white, whiteness is inherently racist. So even if you're not a racist person, you don't have any racist sentiments, you know, you could even be married to a black person because you're white, you are inherently racist. And there's a reason for that. The reason is therefore it doesn't matter how good a person you are, what you do, you must be, you must be put down. You must be um, overthrown on just by nature of the, the essential categories of who, who you are. So those are some of the ideas that are underlying a lot of what the unrest that we now see in our society. Um, Yeah. So, you know, I mean, it bleeds into everything, right? So uh, you, this is why movies are often, you know, um, movies and novels, storytelling in a society is often reflective of those movement changes and paradigms that are going on in the culture. And they grab onto it, they kind of get at the crest of it, and they also help affect, bring more change in the culture because the more that you watch these stories, the more that the people watch stories, the more it normalizes that that particular view and and demonizes the previous view of society. And um, over time, it, it gets replaced that way. So uh, yeah, so that's why we see these things uh, these ideas, even in the movies and stories and novels that we're reading. Um, and, and that's how ultimately I agree with Andrew Breitbart that, you know, um, politics is downstream from culture. You know, you can pass laws, but if the culture is against the laws, they're just not going to obey them and they're not going to enforce them. And so, um, you know, as, as we see right now in the whole legal warfare that's going on in this country, it's unbelievable where, law law isn't being there's no rule of law there's just usage of law to oppress the political dissidents in the culture and um yeah it goes on and on but anyway which i know uh you had mentioned when you wrote your book that you specifically had you know your own idea and you wanted to uh put it out there through story and make people see it from a different viewpoint and make it more palpable, you know, for the, for the audience and entertaining. That's a, I thought that was very interesting because one of the questions I was going to ask you today, you inadvertently answered it there because 
I wanted to ask, you know, these uh, book writers, these directors and, and filmmakers and things like that, the agenda they have. And just, just as you said that you did, you know, these guys, they have a vision to tell too. You know, even television, you're telling a vision. It is your vision. And then even Hollywood, a lot of people don't know that, you know, uh, the witches and warlocks, they made their, their uh, wands out of holly, the druids. So they're, <laughs> they're putting a spell, you know, so to say, on, on the people. And and I'm like you. I mean, I don't focus specifically on the, the spiritual side. I try to look at the whole chessboard. So, yes, there's people out there that have their ideology that they went through uh, college and was uh, indoctrinated and, and act out in their everyday life. But I also believe that there's some, you know, spiritual warfare going on and rulers and principalities, even if it's uh, unbeknownst to them. And since, you know, reading my Bible and digging deeper, and especially into the uh, Deuteronomy 32 worldview and uh, the Nephilim and all these things, and I, I'm not a new Christian. I mean, I've been a Christian my whole life. It's just this, these are things that the church is not talking about. And, but since finding those and looking through, you, you see all these connections. And with me, and I was wanting to talk about these, how these things, they plant seeds, even if they're subconscious seeds. And just like they do in the colleges, now they've downstepped it to the children. So you have yeah. Disney. Every single Disney character has a, uh, has a homosexual or a transgender now. Yep. Uh, then you have video games like, uh, the devil may cry. And that was a video game that come out in the nineties. And back when I played games, I played that game, really enjoyed the game. I had no idea. I guess I just maybe didn't pay enough attention, but I didn't have that lens to see it with either, but he was half, uh, angel, half human, uh, hybrid he was a nephilim and now you got books you know uh nephilim's uh savior series where this girl is a is a nephilim and uh the black coat agencies have scooped her up just like they did 11 in that t tv series and oh, train yeah. her to save the world she's the savior of the world and it's like the more I see it, it's like a desensitization to spiritual wickedness in these things and a, a perversion of the truth. My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted, and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up motivate you and relax you we hope you enjoy our coffee be bold be humble be kevlar
And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. And for listeners of the Dig Bible Podcast, use the code, all caps, DIG20, whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount. Enjoy. It's taking it a step yeah, further you know, to glorifying them, not just oh yeah. not just taking them away from the bad guy. You're glorifying them just like you were. We talked about that with the the Avengers. You know, you're looking at Thor. You know, you're looking at um, Aquaman. You're looking at these people that are truly. It was a god who who uh, had intercourse with a human, and boom, look what happened. And we are glorifying this. Um, I, I say it, it just takes me into the whole. If you go back to the Apkalu, right, or you go to the Anunnaki, and you see that. They're a group of people that are there to save the world. You know, that God held this away from you, and now we're going to give you these things. And we're seeing that, that same, whether or not it's, you know, we obviously don't see it that way as, as the general public, but we're seeing that being pushed on us, that same idea, that th- same thought process. And, and regardless of what anybody believes personally, I believe this is all grooming us for something to come. This is grooming us for the end of days for us to accept something like this. But that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. But go ahead, Brian. Yeah. You know, you know, I, yeah, I've, I've actually been intrigued by how the Deuteronomy 32 worldview, you know, this idea of there are watchers over the nations and principalities and powers um, over authorities and, that's a very spiritual, ancient worldview, and it's interesting how that has really that has that concept has grabbed the imagination of a lot of a lot of Hollywood storytelling. And I, I, I don't think it's because these people are you know, um, oh, what can you say? Practicing Luciferian and yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I know some people like that. I, I actually don't. I think. I think they're exploring new things and new ideas because they're interested in, in, in telling stories. And, and, but, you know, there might be a spiritual reason why that has sort of like come to the foreground. I don't know where, I don't know how it got there, but it's, it definitely has influenced a lot of, a lot of Hollywood storytelling, you know, like you mentioned, you know, the Marvel and the Marvel universe, I, I see it's becoming more spiritual, you know, it's used to be more, you know, that whatever the origin of powers were, were more, um, uh, you know, whatever, nuclear or something like that. And, and, and you see more and more characters now where they're just having outright spiritual connections to pagan worldviews. Like you mentioned Thor, Wonder Woman, right? But even the newer characters, like there's this new, um, now I know they've been, been around in comics for a while, but certainly I, I come at it from, I, I don't, don't play video games, so I'm not familiar with that. And I don't read comics, but in, in the film world, I definitely see a more willingness to, to imbibe in pagan religious, explicitly pagan religious views, you know, which, which is really unusual, but you know, it makes sense within our paradigm, right? For instance, Moon Knight, you know, which is a series, uh, another um, Marvel series. And it's literally a guy who uh, discovers that he's an Egyptian God of some kind. And there's this whole, they have the Egyptian God pantheon and they're not like, they're not metaphors like, okay. So like in the Thor universe, right. It takes that. Um, what is it that, uh, 
Norwegian or, you know, those, yeah, those Norse, gods. Norse mythology. Norse gods. Yeah, I was, sorry, I was trying to find that I thought word. I was trying Norse. to think of his hammer's name. I was like, Mianor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it takes that Norse mythology and it just sort of makes them into aliens on another planet, right? You know, so that's still the materialistic, you, you know, that's... That's what all worldviews do. They always reinterpret other mythology within their paradigm and, 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 and they retell the stories with a new viewpoint. But now, even Marvel's just willing to accept it as in, in, in the Moon Knight series, it's just Egyptian gods. They're literally gods, you know? And of course, we see, see some of that with Wonder Woman as well. It's, that's probably more like Thor, where it's the Greek gods on another island in another dimension. But Doctor Strange, man, I, that was one that really got my attention. Yeah, that's more occultic. He's the ma- ma- magical, so you've got occultism. All sure, triple sixes and hand symbols. He's constantly doing. <laughs> sure, but the and immortals. You know, that's another another um, Marvel universe movie that comes out and the characters are just more godlike than they are superhuman you know and so there's a willingness to embrace that that let's take a new take on these aliens and gods and such let's actually have them as spiritual beings you know real godlike powers and interestingly yeah that does sort of fit that watcher paradigm um applied to today uh you know but you see it in in um Clash of the Titans, you know, that's a little older movie, but there's more willingness to redo the old pagan mythology stories because let's face it with the, the ability uh, that we have to do um, special effects. Now it's really cool to see all these monsters and different worlds. And so there's an imaginative component that people are drawn to. Let's redo these. They even redid, you know, they tried to do the Noah movie and the Exodus movie. Both of the movies were made by atheists. Both of them mocked God, uh, the God of the Bible. Right. But nonetheless, it was still a, their, their spin on the, the Christian or the biblical um, stories as well. So there's always been an openness, but, I also see some a more of a willingness to actually sort of uh, use pagan mythology, pagan gods as part of the storyline. In fact, it's interesting. I think a lot of these uh, series that are coming out of Norway and and uh, Dutch series and stuff like you've got you've literally got Ragnarok which is a series on Netflix. And that's about a guy who realizes he's one of the gods, but it's literally gods, you know, and they're, they're the Norse gods in the modern day world. Right. And, but you also have these stories. Like I saw a a movie called lamb and a series called black spot where the Norse gods are brought into it as this, these mysterious creatures of the forest or of the earth, because they are very paganism is an earth religion but they become part of the answers to the story and they're not reinterpreted as anything other than those mysterious pagan gods. And um, so there's a lot of, the storytellers are more willing now, whereas in the past you might have a story that deals with, you know, this mysterious godlike creature, but then by the end of the movie or by the end of the series, you see, oh, it really was just an alien or it was really just, you know, whatever, some kind of natural manifestation or someone's playing tricks, right? That was the usual secular materialist worldview that has affected 
the storytelling, right? But in more recent years, I do see more and more of an increase of just a jettisoning of the, the materialism and just an embracing of the pagan spirituality as a reality. And, you know, half the time it's, it, it, it appears to be negative and turns out positive, or it could still end up being negative in some ways in some movies like Midsommar or, um, you know, like I said, Black Spot was another one on Netflix where, it, you know, it's kind of a dark force, but it's still mysterious and beyond us. So, yeah, there's there's a, a, a willingness to um, to explore that pagan worldview that I think enters a lot of movies these days. Um, you see it in, you know, um, a lot of the sci-fi movies, right? Because now all the sci-fi... Um, shall we say, um, um, disaster movies. It's always now climate change. Ah, climate change. A man causes climate change and the earth is fighting back. And so, you know, whether it's the, you know, the older movie, the happening or any of the new disaster movies that, that have come out, I, I can't think of them off the top of my head because there's a lot of them, but they're all just singularly unmemorable. <laughs> But nonetheless, they they play with this notion that um, the cause of of the of the of the Godzilla stories, right? The Godzilla movies are man's done something bad to the environment, and the environment's fighting back. And there's a investing of consciousness into the the Earth, right? And you can it could be under Gaia, like in the Avatar movies, right, where it's it's that very explicit Gaia sort of mythology, or it could just simply be the like the happening where it's earth itself sort of fights back, you know, but all of these movies, they all reinforce that same pagan earth worship where it is a direct, it is a direct, but subtle undermining of the biblical worldview that, that, you know, the earth is a, a realm that humanity is to have dominion over, you know? And, um, in those stories, it will literally show humans as being bad. We've dominion means to be pollutants and to be that we don't care at all about pollution and all this kind of stuff, which are, are extreme caricatures of which no very few people are actually like that. Um, but yeah, so it, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely artists, writers, storytellers seeking to have something new, but they, they kind of all follow the trends, whatever the new trend is, that's what they follow. So the new trend is climate change. So all sci-fi movies have to be about climate change. And, and like I said, more and more movies and series and even superheroes are becoming more spiritualized rather than materialized. Right. Um, and you know, people might say that has spiritual origins. That's Satan doing that. Sure. I mean, Satan has been involved, um, you know, the satanic influence on worldviews can even be involved in um, not just spiritual things. It could be involved in the, the belief in materialism, the belief that there's only matter. There is no supernatural. There is no spiritual realm. Everything's explainable in terms of material phenomenon. You know, um, that itself can be a, considered a satanic lie. And, and so if you follow the history of movies, you're going to follow the history of ideas explored of, of a growing desire to get away from God, right? To explain things away from God. Now, that's not all movies, and there are many good movies that, that are out there for sure. Um, 
And there are many movies that are, um, or series that are a mixture of good and bad, as well as novels. But I'm just talking about major trends and things that we can see. But I do find it interesting that, yeah, that this very concept of these spiritual powers has been embraced in a lot of Hollywood uh, storytelling. And uh, you're right, it, it tends to, um, it tends to be uh, sort of a, obviously an anti-Christian embracing of this reality rather than the negative concept that the Bible gives it. And, and what aggravates me is they quote scripture, but they misquote it, and then they twist it to make it something it's not. And one thing I wanted to ask you was, are you familiar with the, uh, the Fallen book series? Because I, I know that's kind of in your realm. Uh, no. But it was uh, a series that was written a while back about this guy and he was a, a Nephilim, but he was prophesied to redeem the fallen. And he's portrayed as the redeemer, the savior, and the hero. And this was so popular that they just recently released a movie on it. And I watched some trailers oh, really? on it. And this guy's quoting scripture. And he's quoting What's real it script. called? It's called Fallen. Is it new? Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. I haven't seen that yet. And he quotes scripture, and it, it, it's legit. But halfway through, he changes it to where the fallen is to be redeemed, and he is the savior. So he's the he's the antichrist. He's the false savior in in, yeah. in reality. But for people that just that are Christians that are half heartedly know their Bible, or people that don't even know their Bible at all, can be totally manipulated and lied to and think that this is all scripturally based. Yeah. I think that the, the um, it, it's what I call subversion and what subversion is, is what storytellers do. All storytellers, we do this to some degree or another, the Bible does it too. So, and that is um, subversion is when you retelling someone else's story, but retelling it and investing it with new meaning and your own meaning. And that's a way in which you can connect with people, right? Cause uh, like I, like I mentioned the, um, yeah, the Bible, does the Bible movies that, that, you know, Noah, the movie, Noah and the movie Exodus gods and Kings. These are examples of Hollywood subverting the biblical stories. They retell our stories and we go, Oh great. A movie about Noah. Let's go see it. And it's like, you know, and, and the whole goal is to undermine and begin with on the surface that you're drawn in like, Oh yeah, yeah, this is what I agree with. This is what I like. But then the purpose of the story is to change the meaning and turn it around to make it their view. And, and that's the, that's the way that storytelling will actually draw you in, undermine your beliefs and subvert them. And it's a very powerful, emotional, uh, psychological way of persuading people of drawing them in, of fooling them, of getting them to consider to change their mind um, to change their minds, but it's a very normal way of storytelling because I, I do it something very similar myself when I tell stories, like I tell the story of a serial killer, right? You know, the genre of serial killers and, and universities and stuff like that. I'm telling a story that, that draws you in and, and ultimately, you know, will affect you and subvert the modern day, uh, university, uh, context, right? So that's the power of storytelling, but it can be used for good or evil. It's not inherently bad in and of, in and of itself. It's, it's just the, one of the ways in which we persuade people to change their minds through storytelling and through art, right? Which is different than, say, having a philosophical argument. You know, I'm, 
I'm trying to marshal the facts and argue against you and you're trying to argue against me. Well, one of the ways that, that other people are persuaded is through emotional means or through storytelling means. And, and, and this, this is just the way the world works, you know? So being, I, I think what I'm getting to is being aware of these things and how it does it, like you, you've mentioned, is what helps us to not be affected by things, help us to discern good from bad and be able to interact with our world rather than running away from it or, uh, or accepting it without, without having wisdom. And that's one of the, um, purposes of my, one of my original books I've written many years ago still is, is out called Hollywood worldviews, watching films with wisdom and discernment. And the whole point of Hollywood worldviews was to help teach people, educate them about the nature of storytelling itself, how storytelling affects us as human beings gets us to, to, to change our minds, persuades us through different means than just a rational argument. And the more that, that you can, as a Christian, you can understand how that works. Then when you're watching a movie or a series um, or reading a book, reading a novel, you can see how the story itself is being used to, to sort of persuade you um, of the viewpoint of the storytellers. You know, So again, like I said, this is not in and of itself bad good or evil it's just it's a it's a technique it's a it's storytelling is a part of our nature and it can be used for good or bad for manipulating people or for challenging them challenging them to think differently so in that in that regard kind of you you kind of segued in there for me i appreciate it you're really good at that but uh i kind of wanted to you were talking there about the how this can be used for good or evil how this has uh you know, an impact on the world around us. And I think what Justin had brought up too a little bit is, is our discernment and you had said it as well, but our discernment in these things, because, you know, we're affected by everything that we, what we ingest visually uh, through, you know, auditorily we're, we're affected by everything around us. Some people don't know that certain things are having an impact on them. Um, you know, until all of a sudden you're acting a different way or you're believing something differently and, and you don't even know where that thought came from, but it was something you watched, something that you listened to. I mean, there's a, obviously, what are we doing right now? We're trying to change someone's uh, opinions potentially about believing in, in God, believing in the Bible. That's the whole point, you know, ultimately of what we're doing is try to bring as many people to God as we can. So in your words, and this is something I want to start doing going forward with everybody we talk to, but in your words, what do you think that the Christian, you know, that your everyday Christian, even people that are just questioning, what do they need to be on the watch for? What do they need to hear right now in the, in the day we're in and the times we're in, what do we need to be aware of? Well, my personal ministry or my personal calling or what I want to sort of communicate to people is to teach them how to think, not what to think, you know, um, although I definitely have very definite views about, about, about what I would like people to, how I would like them to think. And, 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 and I ha- I write books of trying to persuade people about that, but, but more than anything, it's, it's, yeah, it's teaching people how to think. In other words, um, uh, we need to be aware of, of, of how, the world is communicating these things to us, not just through social media where people are just throwing things out at us and we're arguing with them, but how culture itself has changed from the inside out, particularly through the storytelling in a culture. Now, you know, storytelling can be applied to music, right? Because music's in a, in, a, in a sense 
tell story. Good music. Books tell stories. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really. Um, but, but my point is, is that they, they're all communicating worldviews in some way. And so if, if, if you learn about the nature of these things, the nature of storytelling, that's what I tried to do in my, my book, Hollywood Worldviews. So, um, yeah, I think that that's the, 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 that becomes the sort of the, the self-protection mechanism where we can spot what's going on. You know, I would say that like, even, even if you look out in, into the, into the world of the news media or social media and, and all the interactions, the right, that go on in social media, really about 95% of what's said is like logical fallacies. They're, they, you know what I mean? Like if you, if you learn about logical fallacies and, and good reasoning techniques, you spot these things instantly and they're just of no use against you. You know, when you see someone's just, someone's just ridiculing you rather than answering, answering the point that you made. Right. Or when someone's making you uh, guilt by association, well, you know, you're part of that, whatever, you know, you know, you're connected to so-and-so and and this so-and-so is a bad person. So therefore you're a bad person. You know, all these things that people try to assassinate characters rather than address the arguments. If you're, if you're trying to defend something in the, in the world, like in social media and you throw out these arguments and then people just saying, well, you're just a this or that you're a Christian nationalist or you're a, you know, right wing, this or that. Those are just insulting terms that, that, get them to assassinate your character without actually addressing the ideas. And once you catch that, and once you see that, you can navigate more effectively against it, not just to protect yourself, but in terms of addressing that, that stuff so that other people can see it and learn as well. And this is what I found, um, you know, in, in, in my, this is why I tend to avoid a lot of social media interaction because a lot of it's, I would say like, yeah, 95 to 99% of it is just emotional, um, insulting and expression of personal animosity towards people rather than actually engaging in ideas. And so, uh, sadly that's, that's the case, but the more you learn about logic, learn, learn about what logical fallacies are, 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 learn about logic, read a little book on, you know, um, on, on how that happens. Read, read my Hollywood worldviews that teach you about the nature of storytelling. And then you can see things more clearly as you interact with them in the real world. That's my goal. And that's my hope. That's the kind of thing that I try to help people with. Read cruel logic. I mean, there's all sorts <laughs> yeah, of logic. read cruel yeah. logic. That's what I do in the story. I, in, mm-hmm. I actually incarnate the moral argument for the existence of God. Because like out in the world, what, what, what are most people's complaints against God? Almost always it's like, if God's so loving, why does he allow the evil in the world? Right. You know I mean? It, it's one of the universal um, problems, you know, that people see that if there's a loving God, how can there be this evil? So much of it, you know? And I think that any mature person really should be disturbed by the evil that is in this world that, that people do to one another. And, and, but, but the whole thing is, People think that there's a moral argument that the the existence of evil is somehow an argument against God, but in reality, it's the reverse. If you understand real moral argumentation, you realize no, actually, the the person who 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 has the problem is not the Christian. 
sure there there's some mystery to the fact that that what evil exists but we have a loving god that that assures us in our faith that he has a morally sufficient reason for what he's allowing in the world or what he's in he's sovereignly ordaining in this world and um there's it's perfectly reasonable to not have to know what the answer is but to be consistent with that that um christian worldview right and and but the person who really has the problem is the atheist who believes there is no such thing as absolute morality. Well, therefore, they can't condemn anything. Anything is being immoral, including murder and genocide, which they always do. Right. Murder and genocide are wrong. Well, excuse me, but your morality doesn't provide a basis for it. So you can't complain about it if you are being consistent with your worldview. So this is the sort of moral argument for the existence of God, existence of God. And I embody that argument into the storyline in a way that's interesting and entertaining rather than just philosophical rhetoric. And how to apply it. Yeah. You know, that that's really important. You can have all the knowledge in the world. You know, you could know the facts, you can know the scriptures, but if you don't know how to talk to people, if you don't know how to apply, you know, God's word and things like that, that's, that's 90% of it right there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I definitely want to check out that that book that you referenced, one of your earlier works, uh, how to interpret uh, Hollywood storytelling. Hollywood worldviews. Yes. Yeah, Hollywood world. By the way, it's not just it's it's. My goal was to help people watch TV and and movie t- series and movies better, but it it's storytelling in general. Mm-hmm. It can apply to novels. It can apply to music that you're listening to. Uh, so yeah, it's really the, it's an understanding the nature of storytelling itself that will actually educate us and equip us to be able to catch things that we may not normally catch. What I think so important about that though, is so many Christians see so many pagan roots in, in different things, whether if it's, uh, holidays, whether it's movies, whether it's this or or that they just they see the boogeyman everywhere and then they lock themselves in their house and they homeschool their children and 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 i'm not saying homeschooling children's bad i'm just just speaking in with a broad brush here but they do all these things to seclude themselves from the world and that's not what god wants it says plainly to be in and of this in this world but not of this world so how are you spreading the gospel how are you being a good imager of god how are you winning more souls over how are you helping and loving your neighbor behind your door locked in your room all the time so your message is very important yeah and i get a lot of i still get a lot of reactions from christians that are just very ignorant and you know it's this um we get it every time there's the debate on Halloween, on Christmas. Oh, Christmas is pagan roots and all this stuff. Even if it is, it when you understand that it doesn't matter what the what the roots are. What matters is who controls the the story now, because yes, maybe. Of course, there are all different theories, and but but even if Christmas did originate in in. Pat, pagan Saturnalia and the solstice and all this stuff. The point of it is, is, is Christians, when Christians um, control culture, they took that and they gave it a new meaning within their own paradigm. 
And then what happened at when atheists got in control? They turned it into Christmas with Santa Claus, right? Because they're trying to, they're taking the same concepts and redefining them. It's the nat- it's 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 what we do with all traditions. So we shouldn't be afraid of the pagan origins of something. What just matters is what what does it mean now? Because all culture is is basically assimilating or uh, what's the word? Um, woke people use this word all the time. Uh, appropriating. All culture is appropriation of prior cultures and a redefinition of those meanings within the new traditional paradigm. So that's what matters. And when you understand that that's how everything works, even the Bible worked that way. If you look at the Bible, there's a lot of concepts and um, the cloud router. Yeah, the cloud rider, which was Baal. Baal was a pagan. And then Yahweh's described as a cloud rider? That's pagan in origin. It doesn't matter. You're saying, no, Baal isn't the cloud rider. Yahweh's the cloud rider. Same thing with uh, temples. You know, if you look at the temple, uh, the temple of Israel was very much the same design as the Phoenician temples. Turns out that why? Because the Phoenicians helped build the, the temple, um, but they used their, their hand in it. But the point is, is they're very, it's very similar to pagan temples. There was pagan sacrifice uh, long before Israel had its sacrifices, right? Just because there's commonality and imagery and concepts doesn't mean it's evil. What matters is, can you take command of the images, of the stories, of the narratives, of the traditions, take control of them and redefine them within your new structure? In the Bible, Leviathan is a creature that is a symbol of the, the, the chaos, the dragon of chaos, and how uh, God suppresses the dragon of chaos to create his covenant order. That's, the, that's the th- a dominant theme throughout the Bible. Well, pagans talked about the chaos dragon and how their God conquered the chaos dragon. Yeah, Marduk and Tiamat. So the, exactly, and, and Baal and, um, and Sea, you know, or uh, Bale and River, the same the same concept. And actually, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the Canaanites actually had Leviathan first. It was literally called yeah. Leviathan. It, it, it was translated in the same way. And so, um, so what happens if the Bible itself uses this appropriation? We shouldn't be afraid of the pagan origins of things, you know. And look, that doesn't mean I'm saying we can. Uh, we can talk to the dead in the name of Jesus. No, I mean, God says not to talk to the dead. So there are obviously some things that are actual. You can't have prostitution that's Christian because I'm appropriating prostitution for the kingdom. No, obviously, for a spirit board the instead of, of a Ouija board. Have you seen those? Yeah, spirit yeah. boards. No, I've not spirit seen that, boards. That would, yeah, that would be an example. Yeah, like maybe a Ouija board, but you're trying to communicate with angels. No, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you actually take control of uh, a concept that that might be relatively neutral, like the cloud rider or like Leviathan, the sea dragon of chaos, and you redefine it and use it. And when you have that understanding, it, you're not offended by, by things like, you know, um, Halloween or something, or like, you know, Christmas, Oh, Christmas had a pagan origins, you know, all these reactions that Christians have to culture just shows their ignorance of it. We need to capture the culture back and take control of those images. And that's, you know, that's how we're going to win that culture. I absolutely agree. Including its stories, right? Christians should be the ones retelling the stories 
of culture. We should be the one telling the biographies of the world through our Christian worldview, not them. They'll tell the stories of Christians and spin them into humanistic, anti-Christian stories, right? There's so many movies that have come out. I even have a list of them, I think, where um, you know they'll they'll take stories and they'll they'll take the Christianity out of it, you know, and um, and make it into a humanistic story. Well, we need to retell their stories, but invest them with our Christian worldview. I guess one last thing, I was just going to jump back to your last point, talking about Leviathan, pulling that from other cultures and, and things of that nature. Some of these things, we have to go back, and it was one of the Heiser views, right? We got to look at the way it was written, who it was written to, at what time, what was going on. This is when, like, you know, we see Jude reference, you know, First Enoch. We see all these different things. The, the culture had these things. They knew about Leviathan. So if, if the writers said, well, Leviathan, they knew they had the context at that yes. time. And it's, exactly. it's something where we don't, I don't think if we don't, and I, I always tell every, we talk about it probably once a show, go read the unseen realm, go read it. You need to, yeah. it helps so much with context when we're reading the Bible. So we understand um, why they wrote things the way they did, where they pulled these from. This isn't just there was a reason they used a lot of the verbiage, a lot of the, the imagery, a lot of the different um, things like Leviathan. There's a reason it's there. And and we yeah. have to understand that, not just think with our own mind and try to put everything in our context right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, Brian, thank you so much for everything. We really appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. As always, you are uh, Thanks for having insightful me. too, because it's like I said, it's a view we don't we don't get. Um, we're, like I said, as far from Hollywood as it gets. Yep. And e even though sometimes you have to get away from, if the evil gets so aggressive and so excessive, you do need to protect your family or you do need to get away from some of it. But, you know, sinners are everywhere and you can work like what I did. You know, I, I moved out of Hollywood, but I'm still telling stories. In fact, more of my stories are getting out to the world than ever before. So um, I need to get away from the insanity, but that doesn't mean I'm not, I'm not trying to, to, to interact with that world. And um, you just, you have to bloom where you're planted. I like what Greg Kokel, the, the Christian apologist says, bloom where you're planted. There's people in need of Jesus everywhere. So uh, if, if you can't, if it's not safe for your family in a particular area, sure, leave. But wherever you go, there's going to be sinners and there's going to be the need for Christ. Absolutely. And so um, you're never going to get away from it. By the way, that's one of my themes of my first novel, Noah Primeval, um, was a, it is a common, th and I, 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 I told the story wrestling with my own heart about it. I think there's a nature of conservative people tend to want to leave, sort of leave me alone, let me, you know, live my life and I'll leave you alone, let you live your, your life, you know, and this sort of like live and let live personality um, to a lot of conservatives. But the problem is, is evil will never let you alone. If you go out, you know, if you move out to the rural areas to get away from the cities, yeah, sure. You'll be distanced from it to a certain degree for sure. But evil's going to come after you, man. They're, the city is going to come after you eventually and you can never escape it. And that's what I have my Noah character do. He thinks that, you know, if I leave them alone, they'll leave me alone. But no, evil follows after you. So you're going to have to fight evil no matter where you are in this world. Don't think you're going to get away from it. And um, uh, yeah, so you do have to do certain things to protect yourself, but recognize that no matter where you go, you're going to have to be that example of Christ. 
and um, apply his word in your life. As Christians, we're always on the front lines. It doesn't matter where you are. And we all need to think like that and always be prepared for what's ahead. That spiritual warfare is real and it's all around us. Absolutely. Justin? Well, Brian, uh, give everybody uh, your information, your website, uh, things you might be working on in the future, what to be looking forward to, and give us all the information. Well, it's pretty simple. My website is Godawa.com, my name, G-O-D-A-W-A.com. I have a lot of interesting things on there. I wanted to make it an interesting site, not a boring one. So you can find out a lot about me on there and all my projects and stuff and learn about my books. But you can also just go directly to Amazon. All my books are exclusively on Amazon, and most of them are all in Kindle, paperback, hardcover, and audiobook. And now I'm I'm, within the next couple weeks – I'm going to have large print editions of all my books as well. So you go to Amazon and, and look at my name and you can find all about my books. And that's where I sell everything exclusively. Nice. And Ben, when Ben hears this, he's going to be so happy. You said audible. Our other yes. co-host, he's audible. like, I ain't got time to read. I do audible. <laughs> so Amen. <laughs> well, guys, uh, Thank you for joining us. And Brian, once again, thank you for the the conversation and uh, keep digging guys. And like you said today, the theme of the show, in my opinion, is unlock your doors and go out and get some sunshine. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks for listening to the dig Bible podcast, the place where you can't lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. You got to dig. Be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook. Be sure to like, comment, share, and subscribe. Keep digging.